Podcast Podcast Network. They come from the bowels of hell, guided by a master plan for complete domination of the earth. It has aroused such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refund. Hey, it's Deliberations of Doom. 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 I would like to point out that we just recently got a Deliberations of Doom Instagram and a Deliberations of Doom Twitter. Say what? And there's a Facebook as well Mm -hmm. where we're posting all this different stuff, all the photos, all the crazy shit, just funny shit that we we have going on. I mean, please like all that stuff. But the one thing is like, because I'm on the Twitter and I'm like trying to like like all these other horror groups and I'm like, Jesus Christ, there's 3,000 other podcasts yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah. And yet we're still better than all of them. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. And I think it's because we have the best fans. Like seriously, shout out to everyone that participates in discussion board yeah. and on our Facebook and likes us on Instagram and Twitter. And, and on one of us.net. Yeah. 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 I mean, seriously, you guys are awesome. Keep, keep posting. Like, yeah. We you listen, know, we're listening. We literally we, are. We, we take, I mean, the next thing we're doing is alien horror and we actually one of those is a fan pick like a couple yeah. people p- pushed for it and we we're like oh yeah okay throw that on there so we want to talk about yeah, stuff you want to hear about and that that makes a difference to us so indeed yeah and also everybody here thinks it's hilarious when people dog on me and russ so maybe keep doing <laughs> oh, that oh, I no guess. it yeah. is hilarious i mean yeah, right, you so. guys yeah. you guys have become kind of the whipping boy <laughs> podcast, but sure. i'm sorry for that no sure. no, no, no i accept that role I'll yeah um, every it. every hero needs a villain that's right, that's right. we're just gonna, <laughs> so we're gonna <laughs> lean into it so yeah they, they podcasted long enough to become the villain yeah <laughs> so, oh, that's how it goes but uh this week we've got the whole crew here of course I'm Chris. Patience. Philip. Russell. Rob. And if Russell and Rob sound alike, that's because they're twins, just so you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's... It confuses <laughs> even me sometimes after I've... And us. It totally guys. confuses us. Oh, I've seen you guys conf- get confused yourselves. Like, wait a minute, which one am I? Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Uh, no, just kidding. But anyway, today we're talking about the films based on Clive Barker yeah, properties. Or even straightforward films that were written by Clive Barker for, uh, for film, initially. Right. Now, we didn't want to talk about... Everything that existed for here, because quite frankly, there are a few that are like, does anyone want to watch this? Like, also, there's eight Hellraiser movies or something like that, yeah. so we're not going to review yeah, all no, of those. Not, you could do a whole podcast just <laughs> maybe on we'll Maybe movies. we'll do that eventually. Maybe, maybe, maybe in the future. We'll God knows. When I, we run out of the, other ideas. Yeah, I have the Arrow's Scarlet box set that they sent out, wow. which is every single Hellraiser movie, and you're like, uh, one of them is by Scott Derrickson, by the way, who did Doctor Strange and Sinister, who even who is still kind of like, let's not talk about that. Right. And we're getting a new Hellraiser movie soon as well. That's Hellraiser they keep Judgment. promising. Is yeah. that happening? It's or? already done. He it's wrote com- the script. Com- no, he did not. He did not. He oh. wrote a script for it. The studio ended up like basically just ignoring him, and he was like, wait, they just put out an announcement for a Hellraiser film. What the fuck? And found out he had nothing to do with <laughs> oh, that. Oh, well, fuck that. And wait, so it's done? Yes. I don't think I knew that. You know what one of the problems might be? <laughs> Weinstein Company. Oh. <laughs> oh. So, so it's possible that's one of those ones that's just going to get shelved. Phil, you're not associated with Weinstein, are you? (laughs) (laughs) We do a Kickstarter and buy the rights to it, though. Yeah. They're they're selling everything. Let's do it. There you go. Kickstarter. Yeah, uh, there, um, the, the remake was the original plan to do, which, uh, Weinstein apparently, there's been like four attempts to get this happening. Uh, Weinstein kept insisting it needed to have more commercial value. 
and more teen appeal, and everyone, every director associated was like, if Barker's not happy, I'm not doing it. Uh, it looks to no, me like it yeah. didn't, it isn't actually made. Uh, so you, everything I'm seeing, the, the, not the remake, the new Hell Yeah, the reboot. Movie. Yeah. From what I can tell, there, I don't have a director listed on IMDb or anything. So. It's Gary J. Tunnicliffe is uh, the name of him. It's called, Hell Ra- it's called Hellraiser Judgment, and it is not a reboot. It is in, in like part nine. Part of the part ten. Oh, of the Jesus. series uh, with Heather Land- Langenkamp in it who said she wasn't going to be in it but she thought the script was good for whatever that's uh, oh. the director Jerry uh, Gary J. Turncliffe has been the special effects guy for every single Hellraiser film they've made and that's his claim that to does not guess. that qualifies him to direct the story doesn't I was it? about yeah. to say uh, yeah it does not uh, <laughs> Uh, Great witness, special witness, effects. Witness, Jaws two, Jaws two, or, no, Jaws three. The, which one was directed by the production designer of the first one? I don't know. Yeah, there you go. So. But we're not going to start with Hellraiser because we're doing it chronologically. Thank you. Uh, which means we're, we are in fact skipping the first one, which is what Transmutations. Right. Yeah, which is like a um, also called Underworld, which was kind of like the precursor to Nightbreed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think exactly. it's difficult to find, and we just really weren't. Yeah, it was suit. Well, a lot of these were very difficult to find. Um, oh, Daniel Mel- Elliott was in it, though. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Um, surprisingly <clears throat> enough, like uh, Look at that cover, it just looks it's terrible. The worst it cover, looks yeah. terrible. All right, so we're starting the raw we head. We had Rex. a special order raw head Rex. Well, no, I like as it turned out. There was a special release of it that came out right around the same time as we were prepping to do this podcast. Which the one thing I'll say for it. Wow, what a great cover they did for it. It's <laughs> an amazing slip cover. How was the transfer? You know, like, what a terrific... It's, it's fine, you know? Okay, I mean, it's like, it, it's, it's, you know, I mean, like... They weren't working with great source material. No, I mean, like, it's fine. It's 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 not, like, the best thing you've ever seen, but it's not, like, flawed, really, either. It's just... We're like, talking about the movie or, or the, the actual no, the cover the extra art. features, the, the, like, in terms of the quality oh, of release the DVD. release of the special... No, movie. yeah, the artwork looked great on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the movie. The, the artwork looked better than the actual movie. Monster, one hundred percent. God, it was so. This is like eighty six. All right, so we're jumping right? ahead. It's eighty nineteen eighty six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so let's start with the uh, the plot summary. We've I think. had yeah. aliens. All right. At so this point. Uh, Rob, you brought it up. What's the plot summary? Oh shit! I have to do it. Yeah. Um, you said it. Yeah. I, I watched this today. Okay. So um, <laughs> there's this uh, American in Ireland who is uh, researching. It looks like I guess according to the items of religious. Anyway, he's there with his family has two kids, his wife, they're wandering around Ireland, uh, this small Irish town, looking into um, uh, uh, I religious, guess, sites. religious sites. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> meanwhile, uh, this farmer is trying to move a stone. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's all yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you could call it that, but it's just basically a crappy pointed rock. Yeah. And he's trying to move it with his super unhelpful friends yeah. who are really kind of lame. And anyway, was ready. His friends yeah, had to leave. Right okay. It's about to rain. So, um, he, it's Ireland. It's always about to rain. Right. And so he uh, moves this stone from his crappy backyard. It's like basically dirt. And then in a Inadvertently unleashes a pagan deity who's existed throughout time, um, who shows up looking like a member of Guar, yeah. and then uh, <laughs> starts to attack people. And the uh, family, uh, and so the, the town starts to become aware of this. The cops, uh, the and also the the main character. What you're the, saying uh, is hijinks ensue. Yeah, hijinks ensue uh, as they try and <laughs> as they try and stole patience. Right, as they try and. Uh, you know, a grapple with what's starting to happen in the town. This uh, monster is attacking everybody, and then where it came from, and 
who's responsible for it. In the meantime, there's this uh, really <laughs> terrible priest. Uh, who's <laughs> terrible at his job. Wildly. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's probably the worst crap. Yeah, he's just a dick before he gets in. So he gets sort of infected with this thing and starts to worship Rawhead Rex. And anyways, bad shit goes down. Um, in you his know, defense. He can at least see and touch that guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I agree. Well, okay, we'll get into that. So, um, uh, that's is that that's basically the plot. I hate that and, you yeah, and the monster shows up and starts like massacring, massacring people like based on right. I this don't is, know yeah, what, and except that that shit happens. The, one of the very little things that come from the actual original story uh, that in the movie just seemed confusing is that he like encounters a pregnant woman and does not kill her. Is like almost averse to her. I mean, and and has a sort of like, oh, there's a. And you go over the over the length. You're like, okay, so I guess he's a fertility god of some level. In the no movie, way did, did you I put that, that much thought into it. I yeah, because they didn't put that much. No, thought they, into they cut it. away from it instantly and don't yeah. ever explain it again. Yeah, exactly. It goes nowhere. Yeah, and, I, and, and the, and the woman has that. no no point in being in the movie after that, even being alive. It does when you read what he how he originally wanted it though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you read the original story, you're like, it's very clear that which is uh, a belief from the first books of blood. No, volume three of books of blood. Uh, that many volumes. Yeah, no, there's six. six. And they're actually real quick. His books are they're way better really than his movies. Good. Okay, really, really like, good. that's going to be an important theme, maybe. When then. you look at the original book, like, <laughs> and I'm, I've mixed feelings about like how they decided to do it because, like, Barker for one has openly said I despise this film. I thought it was awful. She wrote they the really, too. they really. He was so excited when it got started. And like, oh god, this thing's going on with this director George Pavlo. He's like, oh, and then they were like, don't show up, don't come to set. Like, this is you have nothing to do with it from here on out. And he was very upset by the way that was all handled. Understandably, although that I think is more par for the course than not with the writers, <laughs> but uh, like. Originally in the stories, it was very clear, just looking at Rawhead Rex, that he was a sex god type thing. He pretty much looked like a giant walking penis with a penis, <laughs> was how Barker even himself described him. He's a penis with a penis. Mm-hmm. And here you're like, no, he's just a really terrible looking cross-eyed monster uh, where you can sometimes see the actor's eyes through his open mouth. You can see his teeth behind his teeth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> like, he does not... It, it's... You know, it barely touches on those origins of the idea that he's supposed to be this fertility god. And so other what you end up getting is just a really run-of-the-mill monster rampaging for reasons you're not entirely clear why film. They actually mm-hmm. describe this. I mean, Clive Barker, I think, is very clearly a body horror um, kind of a guy. Uh, if you When we talk about his, his future movies or his, his movies after Rawhead Rex, you're definitely like, oh, he's body horror. But they actually... Um, Decided this was folk horror, which hmm. is an, a what? yeah. They called this folk horror, you know, not unlike let's say Wicker Man, or um, I get the way they were Children of the Corn. That would be a thing. But. Yeah, I mean, where it's like rural and it has like this pagan undertones or whatever. But in the end, it just like you said, it's just like a, it's just a really terrible monster movie. Yeah, and I don't buy the whole folk horror thing because because like. 
Clive's very much like, even body horror wise. I don't get that because he's more in like a, a sexualized horror than a body horror. Like he he has a lot more to do with like you know how do I you know uh, almost sadomasochistically like violate somebody. And all of his movies have those same themes in there with like leather and chains and you know things yeah. ripping you. All of his movies are very yeah. sado, uh, S and M whatever. And very um, phallic. Very well. very phallic for sure. And he's, a, he's we, a gay man as well. How did we not know he was gay? At yeah. And the thing is. It was almost like him screaming out, like, you know, this is what's wrong with the world. This yeah. is, like, how he approached it, which is why horror is great. You can do all these things yeah. that are your frustrations. And, uh, and he's a brilliant painter and a brilliant writer. His and paintings are gorgeous. And they're amazing. And, and the thing is, well, he has, he has a brilliant horrible. imagination, which doesn't always translate well into film. And Rawhead Rex, again, I mean, it's about a big dick killing people. Yeah. It's, suppo- it's, it's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Even the name. It's, Not it's, metaphorical. It's supposed to be a big dick killing people. And they, I mean, we're seriously talking about a literal penis. Yes, killing it. And, then, and you get how the movie was like, why, why are you making it this way? You lose all the charm and funniness of and the ambiguity, not the the, uh, the, uh, the allegory of what I'm trying to do instead, is lost. Instead, you just get a big, like, like looks Ogre looking thing. an ape, like a Lord of the Rings yeah. looking thing. And you're just like, well, okay, but what are you supposed to represent? Why are you even here? What are you pissed off about? And literally, at one point, the giant penis monster pees. All right, all right, all right, all right. Are we skipping ahead? Are we going to talk about that? No, I'm saying I'm not sure he's peeing. I, I'm pretty. I mean, I got to stop everything and talk about this moment because it's it's literally (laughs) like. I sat up in my chair and was like, what the fuck? I've never seen anything. <laughs> you because, texted me going, have you gotten to the part? <laughs> have you gotten to the part? I, because, because I have to say, um, the rest of the film, um, and I guess, I guess I'm skipping ahead on my review and stuff, but the rest of the film is this kind of, you know, very sort of, in a weird way, sort of lovable, sort of Fangoria era, uh, 80s VHS um, monster movie. And I understand why it kind of has a cult following. Um, it... it, it it, it really works on that level. <clears throat> there is a... Okay, spoiler alert. You know, we spoiler when we, we talk about these movies. Spoil we, spoiler for a movie you're probably never going to see. Right. Right. If you can find a copy of it. So it, it lumbers along like that, and it has its various vicissitudes, which we'll talk about in a second. But <laughs> it gets to this moment in this movie that is literally like nothing I've ever seen in a fucking movie before. And it's almost... Off screen, like it's sort of like the, it just sort of. I had to rewind it two or three it's, times. It was surprising, yes, because I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And it's literally like this movie's lumbering along. I'm having a good time. It's like three fourths of the way over. It's more like four fists. Yeah, and it cuts, and this weird evil priest character who we've sort of touched upon is on his knees as Rawhead Rex, who, by the way, is just a big monster in, like, a weird outfit or whatever. Like, he's styling and profiling. (laughs) And he's... He's somehow from his crotch, and I mean, in no way... I I don't know which... penis has a penis. Yes, is... Spewing liquid on this guy who is arms out, like just white liquid, accepting. So, draw your own conclusions, whatever it is. It's filmed in long shot. Yes, and and I just. What I read was that it was like a baptism by Pete. No, and he says that he says that because he says to the other guy, uh, he wants to baptize you or whatever. But I'm just saying, it is that. First of all, is. 
I, I hands down the most Clive Barker moment in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it definitely was the one I was like, okay, this is Clive Barker. But you still can't stop. By, uh, you're stopped. You're like, wait, what just happened? Because because the movie, movie, nothing else in the film, and there has been some some uh, sort extreme of stuff. extreme stuff they in the movie. They kill a kid. They kill a kid. Yeah. There is nothing else moment. like this yeah. in the movie. And the movie is not on this level in any other way except for this moment. And, and I just want to say, like, I'm... I try to be a woke person, you know, I try to be a progressive person, <laughs> but I am monster phobic. And I don't want monster liquid spewed on me in any way. Oh, Especially in some weird Russell religious... doesn't like golden showers, whatever. Not for monsters. <laughs> well, what if the monster was just a big dick? <laughs> a giant No, I mean, it's still a giant it's monster. It's still a giant dick. monster dick. Anyway, no, it was just a big dick. As, monster dick. As terrible as this movie I'm is. I'm not going to address Phil's question, but the point of my story is I've, I've never seen anything like this in a movie it's, it's just like I, he just like texting he's like it got really transgressive <laughs> <laughs> he was like but but i i guess the reason i'm sort of stuck on it because the rest of the movie in in a large way and it's it's so weird talk about but it's unremarkable it's a boundary pushing moment in a movie that's very conventionally like this b vhs fucking movie and all of a sudden you're like we're going here, like right. we're going, and, and we're not, we're not gonna, we're gonna go. And, here. and as Rob and I were discussing, the movie and the filmmakers themselves seem ill-equipped to deal with this moment <laughs> that they have injected into the rest of the movie. That's why it's like intellectually, the film is not exploring things on that level. Yeah, and and I just. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure why. I mean, I, I could talk worry. about this for the rest of the podcast. I could talk about this moment because it so, like, affected me. And like I said, because there was nothing else. Like, I've never – I mean, props. I've never seen anything like this in a Seriously, fucking movie. Seriously, as terrible as this movie is, it's very daring at points. I agree. I, I, I totally, totally agree. Uh, yeah. You know, with with the, uh, you know, the golden <laughs> shower scene. And I also liked – and this is one of those rare cases where Ooh. the main actor – where or Bukaki, where the main <laughs> actor is actually like sticks up for himself. You know, he has like a shiny spine. Like he like like when he confronts the priest that's a dick, he's like, I'm gonna fucking kick your ass yeah. right now. And he like really takes control as opposed to being super passive like you find in a lot of horror films. Also the fact that this is one of the very first horror films I've ever seen where they legit just straight up kill kids. And yeah. I was like, that's pretty cool. But otherwise it's a terrible movie and even Clive Barker hated it. Yeah, um, so I first saw this movie because in my elementary school we had an underground Wait, network. What? A VHS <laughs> tape oh, exchanging shit, hands. Yeah. And this one came Someone to me. Someone got this one. Yeah, somebody had this VHS tape and they slipped it to me well, one day. You were in elementary school in 1986? No, I, probably 1987, 88. Alright, fair enough. Yeah, not important. Yeah, so somebody slipped this to me one day and I watched it at like eight years old and uh, holy cow. Yeah. blown your tiny mind. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it created his sexuality. Yeah. That's why we have the fill we have today. So, um, it a lot, everybody. How are you to... not a giant dick? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. How okay, we... so, so psychology, psychology aside. Psychology aside, I hated it then. And, uh, I thought the monster looked really stupid then. But then I read what it was supposed to be, and I go, wow, another Clive Barker movie ruined by people bastardizing his writings and his work. No. Because the guy, me, like, the guy, third grade Phil thought that? No, like, me today. Okay, that. me me today did. Okay. Like me then go. This is a shitty movie. <laughs> with a cool film. Like, by the way, this is bullshit. I'm gonna do my book report on Rawhead Rex. <laughs> the best part is even the cover art back then was better than the movie today. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, not not a good movie at all. But the cover art fucking rocks. Well, yeah. I Very true. So 
Um, I, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit in my overall thoughts, but uh, I really didn't love this assignment. Like, as far as these movies, most of them are dark and unpleasant and ugly. Um, even even the really even like the ones I liked, I think they're like upsetting romantic comedies. <laughs> I do like romantic comedies. No, this is just not a podcast about them. No, it's okay. Sorry. No, but um, so. <clears throat> I, I was, this is the last film and I had been dreading it. And Russ had been like, it's transgressive and this one thing, I don't, I don't know, it's pretty low budget crappy. Um, I enjoyed this on a very B-movie level. More than I expected to. I don't think it's probably a great Clive Barker adaptation. I don't think it's probably, it's not a great movie. As Russ was saying, like, I think as far as like VHS 80s horror, it's sort of on the upper end of that in that it wasn't boring. Uh, things happened. I, I liked it. I really liked the lead actor, David Dukes, mm-hmm. uh, who plays the American. I, I actually think he's better than the material, as were a few other actors. Were really good. Um, I like the slow motion shot when Rawhead Rex jumps out of the earth. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a fun bad movie. It's, it's a bad fun, movie. Like, so, it's, a, it's such an 80s shot. Yeah. Look, <laughs> if we were at like an Alamo draft house eating pizza and drinking, we I mean, would be having the best yeah. fucking yeah, time. And I think because it's not. There's like so like you watch like gore, right? right? I mean like I think and I think that there's there's I they get to the thing at the end with the priest and he tells the other priest um, what he's trying to get Rawhead Rex to and he and he starts talking about he's the real god. Like not this, not this Jesus guy. He's the real God. He's been here longer. This is his world, and I worship him, and I welcome his death and all stuff. And I was like, "It's a very Clive Barker United." Yeah, and yeah. and I was like, "Okay, okay." Now imagine that's a dick. <laughs> think about, think about that's that. That's thing. But think about. But that. it would be. I mean, that's no what, doubt that, that an old I'm God. Not, I'm not trying to make a joke here. I'm no, saying, think I, about I, what he's saying. No, but if I, it's I, a dick. No, but I agree because there's a phallic thing to this it, movie I mean, that's pretty fascinating. In the context of that being like impressive, it rules everything. But as a fertility god, so. he would be phallic. <laughs> Anyways, yes. it doesn't. But I, I do. So, but I did think that there were those ideas running through the movie, and I was sort of surprised by them. They killed the kid, which I was genuinely surprised by. Like the movie had a twist. I mean, dicks. Yeah. Dick move. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna try and rush through my thoughts. No, it's fine. I'd rather laugh. But um, this episode brought to you by Basil Hayden. Yeah, we've been drinking. Yeah. yeah. So, but overall, like, as far as, like, if you're, lo- compared to the other movies, like, uh, Books of Blood or, or Dread or some of the other ones we watched, this was kind of fun for me. Like, I was, like, yeah. I was laughing the I whole agree. time. I was kind of having a good time. It is not a good movie in, in, in like, a conventional sense, but it was an interesting sort of upper echelon B movie for me, so... I'd give it that. I mean, the fucking crazy priest guy, like, stole the show for me. He's such an asshole through the whole movie. Like, I kept laughing. He's an asshole before he's, an he's, asshole like, before he's infected with the evil yeah. god. But he's, like, smashing his camera. And, so smash wait, what, was there not a scene when Rawhead, like, hypnotizes somebody to do his dirty he work does, for he him? does, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm recalling this. Yeah. I'm remembering, like, how the... Yeah. F- okay, Yeah, weird. again, there's no consistency. And they really, as far as filmmakers... The depiction of, of Rex is fucking terrible. Like, they literally I'm have so no... Bad. Like, you, all you think when you're watching him is they light... They have a terrible creature, and they light him brightly, and they shoot him in close-up. And you're like, guy, have you ever watched a monster no, movie like not even the fucking part. ever? They keep... They, they decide to do this effect where his eyes glitter. Yeah. And 
for whatever reason, that makes it look like his eyes are crossed. Yes. Yeah. You know, He's, he looks like a Siamese but in, But in some ways, <laughs> I was so endeared by his sort of, like, sad, crappy, like, visage. Like, I was just like, this is hilarious. So, um, but overall, like, I have to Thank say, um, also, and this may be a running theme we can point out, I want to, uh, how many Clive Barker movies end with swirling blue things that are drawn on the film? There's a lot of them. That seems to be a very Clive Barker climax. Um, and this movie being the first one that I was like, okay, okay is this in all of them? Anyways, Maybe uh, the only one with an actual climax on film. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, all right, we're done with Ryan. No, no, I'm not done. I wanted, I wanted to Russell. say, first of all, worst trip to Ireland ever. Um, <laughs> Can I talk with a fake Irish accent um, right now? The other thing I wanted to say was, no. uh, okay. I constantly got Rawhead Rex as a kid. I got it constantly confused with Pumpkinhead. Um, That's funny because I get it confused with Razorback. Okay, so um, I will say Pumpkinhead is a better film. It is a better Far movie. Superior. I agree. Yeah. I disagree. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, <laughs> I disagree. That's it. There was a lot of weird sort of logical like things, like like the guys at the beginning, the farmer guy. They're moving the stone. They'd never moved the stone. It'd been there since time immemorial. <laughs> no one had thought to move the stone, which didn't seem particularly oh, movable. Oh, on that, can I just interrupt you super quickly? My favorite thing was the two cops are standing next to the fallen stone in the small pit with a little hole, and the dead guy next to it. And the guy goes, "Apparently, he was trying to move this stone." And you're like, "Obviously." <laughs> Anyways, go. Ahead. Uh, there was that. There was also I went. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I did want to shout out to my favorite line of dialogue, which was when the say it with an Irish accent. The, well, the, the guy in the, the guy in the in the uh, the guy in the, the the cop station when the father is there, the, the David Duke's character says, um, "The inspector will see you shortly. In the meantime, can I get a cup of tea?" And the guy said, "Why don't you go fuck yourself?" <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly was, what I was which I thought was okay. awesome. And oh, here's another uh, great line of dialogue. Get upstairs, fuckface. I can't keep God waiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, you, that's a standout. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and also, the stained glass window was was kind of weird. It had, like, the weird laser thing. Yeah. Um, that Which was, never really like, your And everybody's, like, super cool with it. Like, like just you're hypnotized by the stained glass window? Does that mean something? Is there a mystical tie-in? No, yeah. it's just, like, a, let's get to where the plot needs to be. And yeah, I, had, exactly. I had one more uh, final thing, which was sort of a nerd thing, which was um, I always like to see the, the kid in the in the in the um, backseat is before he gets whacked by Rawhead Rex is uh, reading a comic book and the comic book was Secret Wars 2 oh, yeah. which I found very interesting and I was like right. not as good as Secret Wars 1 no not, not as really as good as a lot of things so yeah. the kid has terrible taste in comic books and which probably is why the which is killed why him. he died yeah <laughs> yeah but everybody was reading Secret Wars 2 at that point, to yeah. be fair, so, you know. It was um, the 80s. My final thought yeah. was, I thought Rawhead Rex needed his own theme song, you know? <laughs> like, maybe, like, something... He felt like a, more of a wrestler than anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what do you think, like, like, like reggae? Or, like, what do you think... Would... All right. Okay, we're done with Rawhead Rex. You got anything else yeah. to say? No, I'm good. Let's yeah, go. let's move on. Let's move on, because right. it's already... My God, we're almost 30 minutes in, and we're... Oh, on Rawhead Rex? On Rawhead Rex It deserved it. We haven't even gotten to Hellraiser yet, which is the next one, which yeah, is arguably the most amount of stuff to say about a Clyde Barker product, which is certainly like the one that, for people who aren't already reading his books, and I was at this point, I was a big fan of the Books of Blood, which had just before this been released in America, but this was the one, like, holy shit, that guy, they're making a movie based on his stuff, which is based on the novella, The Hellbound Heart. Um, Great name. This movie, Hellraiser, which came out in 1987, 
like had at least a certain amount of advantage. It like had like uh, Andrew Robinson uh, in it, who already had been in a few things, including playing the main villain in Dirty Harry, the yeah. Scorpio Killer. He yeah. was already known for playing a major. And villain he's in Cobra's that. boss in Cobra. Okay, <laughs> yes, uh, I think of him as Garrick on Deep, Deep Space Nine myself. Just you know, I would. But, uh, yeah, the story here is basically, um, so there's this cube, and it sucks, and people die. That's the story. Is that your plot summary? Yeah. Oh, well, you want to do a better job? Oh, shit. <laughs> Patience, <laughs> you know, I set her up. Patience, you up. Okay, so evil guy Frank, Uncle Frank, uh, finds this puzzle box. Frank's misunderstood. <laughs> I totally agree. Okay, I think we know where Phil comes from in all of this. Go on. So evil guy Frank is visiting a foreign country looking... Oh, it's Morocco. Um, he finds this puzzle box, which he solves, which uh, tears him apart, Lisa... Um, <laughs> not a room reference. Okay. Not a room reference. Uh, sure. High five. There you go. There you go. Boom. Right. And um, anyway, so then that happens, and then we have uh, I can't remember the dad's name, Larry. Larry. And his new name. wife, Julia, move into his mom's house where Frank was squatting, along with uh, their daughter, uh, Kirsty yeah. Cotton, who doesn't her, live with them. Her debut performance as an actress. Really? Yeah. Uh, She's good. Yep. Heather Langenkamp is no, that? That's no, that's Nightmare, that's Nightmare on Elm Street. No, it, what is this it, girl's name? It is Ashley Lawrence. Ashley Lawrence. This was her first uh, film performance. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> that's what I do. And so basically, Julia fucked Frank. Yeah, Before she was in love with Frank or in lust with him. Even though she was married to Larry, and then Frank, the, the the brother, shows up, and she's like, "Larry is kind of a nerd." They Frank, on the other hand, Frank is is dreaming is, if, and a bad boy. Yeah, he's and they literally boy. have sex on her wedding dress. Just yeah. want to point that out, yeah. as one does. As yeah, well, you want it to be sure. hot, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, anyways, go on. So anyway, um, I've never done that. Anyway, so she finds she like Larry accidentally cuts himself in the attic, and Frank comes back to life. Uh, skinned. As one does. Yes. And he is like, Julia, bring me guys to feed on so that I can come, you know, get my skin yeah. back. Because I have to suck their blood and stuff mm-hmm. to be able to get my own blood. To reconstruct himself in a human form. And hijinks ensue. Right. Yeah, yeah they do. Uh, as And then it becomes clear <laughs> that, uh, Frank, that deal he made, those guys... Not real thrilled with the idea of losing the one Cenobites. of the people. The Cenobites, which just literally translates to holy order. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. It's, a word, it's a real word before this. It was a real word before this. I mean, I knew you were a nerd. <laughs> oh, yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I'm a holy nerd. Okay, probably if you listen to this podcast, you've seen Hellraiser. That's yeah, my guess. I, I, I would, assume. Well, maybe. Okay. I mean, I would hope so. So. But, you know, like, th- there's a lot of complications with turning this into a film. I can only imagine them coming to this and going, what the fuck, dude? Nobody's going to make this into a movie. Barker, after his experience of being shoved off of Rawhead Rex and and uh, Underworld, went, fuck that. I'm directing this thing. I'm going to be in charge of this movie. Which is exactly what he did. Which is probably why this is kind which, of... With the a- exception of Stephen King, it's probably one of the few horror writers, yeah, who's novelists, to, he's a- to make the leap to directing his own material. He's a halfway decent horror director, mm-hmm. I would say. I mean, I don't think he's, like, legendary, but he like he, well, he only he did three really movies, and that, yeah, we should. Okay, yeah. so we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. 
exactly. But he was like, I want to do this. And I think that's partially why this was the first major shot across the bow for probably Americans in general for Clyde Barker, like where yeah. people went, oh, wow, that guy well, did that? Well, this compared to Maximum Overdrive is like The Shining. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean... I just want to say, and as a huge Clyde Barker fan, Hell, Hellraiser, and, and more importantly, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, which we're, we are not going to discuss... Uh, well, we'll discuss it. Later. A little bit, in passing, yeah. yeah. These, I mean, these were probably some of the most influential movies I saw as a kid. Like, I mean, the Cenobites and Pinhead and just the absolute, like, I mean, this was like the beginnings of torture porn in a way. And they just had a huge impact on me and really fueled my love of horror because this was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. That's an interesting this, point you bring up, though, about it being torture, like the beginnings of torture porn. I don't think you're wrong. Uh, but there seems to be, to me, in my head, something different because yes. these are these gods of pain. They're more like love pain and pleasure, though. as opposed to just some redneck. But, yeah, no, right, this is more, they're it, more love but, but I think, of torture. But point. I think what patience means is there's an iconic imagery to the film yes. that is really well, undeniable. That this the. the the, the imagery of this film is is burned into pop culture right now. Just this film alone cements his his thing as, as sort of an important director, and that the idea of sort of, a sort of an extreme violence and extreme horror, also done as a way um, sort of that sadomasochistic sort of pleasure seeking as well, yeah. is is again a, a thing that we didn't really see that isn't part of torture that isn't part of what film is doing at the time that's new. This was completely So it feels, it feels original. It feels new. Mm-hmm. It feels unusual. And, and like you're exploring sort of a darker chapter. I didn't mean to interrupt your thought. Yeah. But no, I no, agree, that, so. that was totally, no, you're <clears throat> yeah. right on point right there. Yeah, I mean, this is like something that no one had ever seen before. I mean, at this point, we had had, you know, some 80s horror. You're talking had, Freddy you know, Krueger. These yeah, guys are very we, different we, than Freddy Krueger and Black Jason. Christmas and, yeah. and Texas Chainsaw Massacre definitely, you know, broke a lot of boundaries. But, but this was but this really... Is 1987, when horror in America was right in the middle of this jokey horror thing. Yeah. It was this, oh, you're bro- you're antagonists are all like making puns every time before they kill someone it was all or it was all very formulaic like the Friday the 13th here suddenly this movie comes out of nowhere from England you know which is nowhere as far as America was concerned for horror movies at that point and was like what the fuck is this yeah you know like with that creates not just like like brand new, really mesmerizing villains, but a mythology that you wanted to know more about, and that's why we have ten movies. Well, you know? uh, well such as so you know for whatever that. I'm works. curious, yeah, Phil. So, are so you my a fan of this movie. So my opinion is, I think Hellraiser as a standalone movie is genius. I think the mythos that follows it is you didn't need it because to me the most interesting part about it was about. The relationship between the characters, not because there was a guy named Pinhead and the Cinnabite and all these things they exploited into like toys and T-shirts and bullshit to sell profits. And, and, and the, the relationships of the characters is what made this movie so fucking good. Like Frank's and uh, the wife's uh, infidelity and her having to pay for that cost through blood constantly mm-hmm. and the secrets constantly. That's what made this movie fucking great. Mm-hmm. And then like... Pinhead and the Cenobites, they were all like kind of ancillary characters in this story. Yeah. They don't show up they, a little, they show up for like little bit in the very the beginning end. for yeah. like, you know, like uh, like 30 seconds at the beginning and like 10 minutes at the end. They're not what makes the movie good. What makes the movie good is what this woman has to go through to cover up her lies and what she wants to do. <clears throat> and it's terrifying. The guy, Frank in the Attic is fucking terrifying. This movie works on so many other levels then 
Pinhead and this Hell World and all this shit they spin into it and all the sequels which I don't like. I love Hellraiser though. The first one I love. Okay. Now okay, now I see why because we both have, we've already established ahead of time pre podcast that we disagree about Hellraiser too. And Hellbound is yeah. my favorite. Um, and Hellbound is my favorite too. To, to and me, I, I think to me all the stuff going on here is this great lead into this mythology. mythology yeah. And I want all this this movie, as scary as it is in and of itself, and would have been fine if this was the only movie they had ever done, it made me want to see nothing more than just more of that mythology. And Hellraiser 2 is that movie where it's like, here's that mythology. I'm slightly with, with Phil more on this, though. The idea that they're, they're these mysterious, ambiguous characters who you don't know where they come from, what they want, what they feel, um, and it implies certain things is kind of what makes them legendary and interesting. The more you explore them, I feel that you lessen their power the as these as godlike characters I, I that mean, are summoned that. from a box. I haven't seen how I haven't seen Hellbound two, and I'm probably going to watch it after discussing this. Uh, not immediately because we watched a lot of Clive Barker, but <laughs> and we had um, a lot of Alien horror to go. Through. Yeah, uh, but but I'm, I'm probably close to Phil on that. But anyways, I didn't mean it. No, I just the movie was really well done, and it didn't need like. Like, yes, I, I understood where it was going, and I get this box as a link between, like, heaven and hell, but you never right, see like the heaven that. side of it, really. It's just the hell side of the pleasure, pain, torture yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm always like, they always go, it's a link for these things. My yeah. one biggest issue with Hellraiser series is that they never accidentally open a link to any other world, and they but Because I think that for, early it's, on. That's because, because it's, it's a very thing. Barker sky. Heaven and it's exactly it. it yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the same. Seen. That yeah. for Barker, pleasure and pain are... are, are the Cenobites say that, but there also is a certain amount of, like, it open... They actually say at one point it opens up doors to many dimensions, and you could... <laughs> yes, you could read that as saying, yeah. but it's just the one, because they're all the same. I think you're well, at the center of it. Ultimately, I mean, the Cenobites say there are neither angels nor demons. There's, they're just, like... Creatures that they exist. explorers in the, yeah, in the, in the realm exactly. of the extreme or the beyond yeah, or something yeah. like that. So there's, I mean, it's really uh, the labyrinth and hellbound is not hell. It's just like a, an alternate sort yeah. of dimension, yeah. I guess you could say. The, old, the uh, lament configuration, which is the name of the box. Yeah, yeah. It just. It, I, I feel like a lot of the sequels were afterthoughts at the success of this movie. Cause it was, it, it, it was literally a short, you know, a short little like novella. And it's like, oh, we can profit off this, and it's very like evident that's what it is. It's just well, profiting off of a sequel. As with anything know? good, you want more of it, and in some ways, that's not always the best. No, thing. yeah. And then, like to me, it's like the only like thing in the movie I didn't like was like the boyfriend character literally just flips a cigarette in his mouth at dinner time, and she's like, "I'm gonna hang out with this fucking guy." Oh, make and, then, up like, with that. and then he's like showing up at the end, like to say, "Like, um, he." It's like, "Fuck off, dude! I, you, like, you have no relevance in this movie." Right. To, as a guy who was 17 when this movie came out, yeah. if you could flip you a cigarette that. in your mouth into that, you were gonna. Why do things have to or you change? You do that thing where you'd like every time you'd light your zipper, you do it by snapping your fingers. Yeah. You're getting fucked. Wow! Wow! Okay, that's pretty. Pretty Good awesome. You didn't have to do a lot. As I mean. much as I love the first Hellraiser, and I I do love Hellbound better, and I think that Hellbound is more um, indicative of Clive Barker, um, even though he didn't direct it. Funny enough, but it's a lot more. He did brutal. write the story. He did. But Not it's a lot more like gory. Um, mm. There's some really, and there's a, it's a lot more body horror. It's like there's some really good sort of Cronenberg moments in it, um, especially when they make the Dr. Channard, Chenard. Um, Whichever. The Chenard Cenobite. There's some really like, they're like, like Dr. holy shit, Ch this is Cronenberg. Dr. Channard is like the most Lovecraftian name imaginable. It's, it is. It's like, very Lovecraftian. Yeah. Um, 
one of my fun facts for Hellbound, I know I keep talking about Hellbound instead of Hellraiser, but one of my fun facts is that the composer who did the score for Hellbound, um, he put the Morse code for God in these sounds that he made for the God that hangs over the labyrinth. The giant labyrinth-like tower. Yeah. The the sounds it makes, which is like a a big horn, is actually Morse code for God. Hmm. I mean, just really cool stuff like that in Hellbound. And it's super gory. Mm. Uh, I mean, you think Hellraiser is gory. Hellbound is Phil's just not having it. No, because it's just not a good story in Hellbound. Like, you can literally, like... Walk out of the room and come back, and you've missed fucking nothing. It's people walking in a maze and people getting tortured for fucking an hour and forty minutes. But, I thought the iconography in Hellbound far far superseded, Hell, but it was Hellraiser. all made up anyway. Yeah, just to, it was all made up just to fucking profit off Hellraiser. Yeah. So yeah. whatever. All right, Russ. Russell. Russell. Um, uh, okay. Well, first of all, I just want to say. Uh, this starts with the the New World uh, production company logo. So yeah. always excited yeah. when I see that. Um, Wait, why why are you excited? When <laughs> just the eighties, like that was a very eighties thing. Yeah, okay. It's yeah. like people like like my friend Brian Salisbury's. Every time it says Vestron Video, yeah, Vestron. Vestron. And then later yeah. later, I think we'll get into TriStar. I'm always excited to see TriStar. Yeah. Um, TriStar is still around, isn't it? They yeah. just came back, yeah, right. but not the old school like great. Okay. Okay, Anyways. So. Uh, before I was rudely interrupted by Chris. Sorry. Uh, I am rude. It's so, uh, I just so wanted to say, I, I really enjoyed watching this movie again. Um, I think I've always liked Hellraiser, but I think going back and revisiting it this time, um, and I, again, I think this will be sort of a running theme with uh, reviewing these Clyde Barker movies. I was very impressed with with his direction in this film. And I I understand that it is not perfect. I understand that in in many ways it's sort of a product of its time. It can feel a little sort of low-budget 80s. Um, But I just think that this film is so impressive in what it's trying to do, how it's doing on its budget. It's such an interesting like original horror film and it's again like we said in the fact that it's sort of dropped in the middle of these you know Freddy and Jason and all these other things that were kind of going on in the 80s and even though Pinhead has sort of been lumped in with those it is very different than those movies. I was going to say, if, if you look at just the editing in this movie alone, where you have the wife in the attic figuring out that maybe she, like she's fantasizing about Frank, and then you got the, the husband pushing the bed and the nails coming up, about to cut his hand open. Then you see all the imagery. It's, it's very like very artful, actually, I, and I very totally thought provoking. Yes. And like everybody else doing slasher movies, this guy made an art film yeah, that's terrific. I mean, even watching the sequences as he's being reformed out of the oh mattress. my god, that thing was brilliant, or so, just yeah. gorgeous. And I did not mean to interrupt watch. you. I just no, no, I, I no, I, 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 I just to, to, yeah. to pick up on the, the points that you guys are making. That was sort of what I was really kind of blown away by was these ideas that again, like I think Hellraiser has been so ingrained in pop culture that the idea of the box and the Cenobites. And 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 those kinds of things, we we think of them in a, in a particular way, and that's not the way the movie sort of um, references them. And and so I was really really blown away by that. And and the idea of the 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 wife, and she's in love with the brother. The brother was killed by the box, and she's. I mean, it's a love story. I, I thought that was really <laughs> such as it, it is, wow, but it is, but it is a love story. I want to see that. And fucked fact, up. The cover of the novelization had Fabio as Frank. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if that's true or that's not. not but I hope it is. It's not not true. True. But but I but I thought that was really interesting. That it was this twisted love story. That she was still in love with him. She wanted to help him come back to life. Um, I I. Those ideas and the ideas of the Cenobites and all those kinds of things, I, I was very um, 
I, I was just blown away by them. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, uh, let me see what else I got here. Uh, uh, also, uh, what I learned was uh, if if you're hooking up with a lady, bust out your switchblade because apparently <laughs> chicks love that. Because Frank busts out his switchblade. Okay, She's just so wet. we love yeah. the cigarette trick, we love the Zippo trick, and we love switchblades. Yeah, got true. it? Indeed. Yeah. As a female, we learned I a guess lot I was about ladies completely today. wrong. But, but I, I wanted to I wanted to come back to the the idea that that Phil was talking about. I mean, I love this idea of that the guy upstairs with no skin in in the in the room upstairs. I, I just thought that was such an amazing. Uh, sort of image and idea, and again, like it's in this movie that I think again we sort of we sort of lump in with these eighties movies, and it's not, and and that I think I was blown away by. Um, I do think it falls apart a little bit at the climax. It's not as interesting as as Rob Be- said because it gets into the fucking whole supernatural thing, which didn't have to. The engineer Cenobite mm-hmm. was uh, that was definitely a failure wait, 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 for this wait, wait, movie. Wait. This is Hellraiser. Why does it not have to get into the supernatural? No, no, no. But not not as much as you do though. They get into it fucking retardedly, where it's just like you know, like like the really bad the special effects, thing, like in and the everyone's got to like keep pushing, keep that's pushing the, the engineer, engineer, which yeah. is just a terrible, it's a bad effect. Yeah, and I bad. agree, that's like this movie towards the end it tries a little bit, little too hard to like the like, bone guy who turns into the demon. You, you didn't need any also, of that. It feels almost like it's an art horror until it gets to that. Yeah, the last engineer was definitely a huge failure, but we do get one of our most prolific final girls. You she's know, when the, we talked about our final girl episode, Kirsty Cotton was right up there. Yeah, but yeah. she's not really a. I mean, like she's only like kind of partially a main character in this story. Who also appears? I agree. However, she, she, I, I agree with Phil. She's not. I wish she, she was in it more. A she's. Lot cut, of the it's movie. really. It's she's really not thirty minutes of it. She's the, the, the main. The wife is really the main yeah. character. That's true. But yeah. uh, Kirsty becomes the main character in Hellraiser two. She's in Hellraiser three. Right. She's in Hellraiser. Oh, we get. Okay, but we're talking about other movies. We're talking about this movie. She's not the main character. Hellseeker, which is I think six, which is well after the. Fact. It doesn't matter in yeah. this movie. She's, she's a supporting character. 10. Yeah, probably. Okay, so Russ, did you mean anything? No, I, I mean, I just sense. just to wrap up my thought. I just thought it was such a, a, a literate, unique, interesting movie, and and as I think Chris called it, a shot across the bow. I, I really do think that um, Clive Barker, he just he really kind of announced himself with this movie, and yeah. in many ways, I I mean, I think Nightbreed to a certain extent, which we'll get into, um, looked up to that, but I, I just. I was really blown away by that, and I really thought he he was a real talent and, and a real director, yeah. like a, a very much an auteur, even beyond sort of just adapting his own work. I mean, despite that we were seeing a lot of Fulci influence here, I mean, there is a lot, which I didn't realize when I saw it because I hadn't seen Fulci, but if you go watch The Beyond or something, you're like... Yeah, this guy's watched those Fulci films mm, and was deeply wow, yeah. influenced by them. But for Americans, or even the British, this was really like nothing we'd really seen before. Really. And, and again, shit. I think a testament to the fact that, that he's smart enough to, to have like a Fulci influence or something like that in there. That is something that I th- I'm, I'm really impressed by. But, but something that can never be taken away is his sexuality in his horror. Like, yeah. that's to him his yeah, own. That is his. That's his. And, like, if you see, like, I mean, if you copy this at all, you're copying Clyde Barker. Like, I, he, he's got his own style. I and honestly that's cannot yeah. believe this film ever got released in the it's, time it did. It was a big hit. Like, I mean, it was a... It was a yeah, it made money. Censors yeah. were so hardcore at this point, and there are indeed... Lot, there's lots of talk of, like, so what didn't make it. Apparently, there were... Uh, there's a lot of talk, like the Frank uh, uh, Julia original love scene was censored by one butt thrust. 
Yeah, there was some, yeah, there was like like, some sodomy. They said two butt thrusts is fine, three is obscene. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Like stuff talking, like that. It's like that like, but then they were like, oh, you can... You can keep in this part where he stabs her and rips something out, but you can't keep in a butt thrust. And it was just so endemic of the time. I, mean, that's, like, that's just I miss those period. days. Uh, I miss those days where you can make a soup. I mean, that's one thing I think that sets Clive Barker apart from the rest of all of these other horror filmmakers is Clive Barker's gory as fuck. And he did never back down. From well, the he gore. very much sexualizes a lot of that said gore. Well, um, I will say before, I know you guys have some final thoughts. So I thought in the middle, I'll throw in some little yeah. factoids. Wait, wait, I didn't get to say what I thought. Oh, I thought you already did. No, I no. didn't really. Um, right, so why? Because I talked. I thought it was no, the same I don't, thing. I'm gonna, I'll keep mine super brief. Because yeah, we should start wrapping it up. But um, I, I had not seen this movie in quite a while. Um, it is, while I agree on all the positives that you guys have talked about, that it is um, unique, it is uh, uh, grotesque, it is uh, trafficking in the extreme, and I think all that stuff is really fascinating. And I think visually, um, the Cenobites and and some of the and 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 Frank and uh, there's some really memorable imagery. I just the imagery is she shuts the door as uh, Frank crawls towards the body. She's knocked out and she closes the door and it's a really amazing shot. Like it was really stunning and disturbing and weird. Um, and I really like the the daughter. I thought she was really good in the movie. Um, the movie is unpleasant. Uh, in, in a, it's not maybe the fun... Like, like Rawhead Rex, like we were laughing about stuff, it was kind of more fun. This is not maybe the funnest horror movie. Like, I don't... Yeah. And it's, it's it's really, dark. It's, it is. It's dark. It's kind of upsetting. It's kind of sad. And and to that extent, I, I, I somewhat found it... And it doesn't have a very long runtime. I think, if I remember correctly. It's only like 90 minutes. Yeah, I like think that. it's like 99. And it, it really... It, it was not maybe the best time for me. Well, even while I appreciated it, um, I do right. think when the Cenobites show up, they are a singular cinematic creation. It's hard to deny. They showed up, and I've seen this movie before. I've, you know, they, they've been around for thirty something years at this point. And when they showed up, it, it was stunning. Like I was like, they were they were a truly dazzling creation. But they're not in the movie a whole bunch. And Phil's right; it probably because they're not in it much. It's really great. Um, <laughs> some of the movie is a little. Silly, like it's certainly like him without his skin on, smoking cigarettes. Like it's kind of goofy. I love all it's, that. I know, but it's dopey. I love um, the little little aspects of that though, where he's like trying to put on a shirt, and the way the blood. Yeah, is it's all over the shirt. shirt. He's like trying to just or kick you even, it. Like he's smoking a cigarette, and you can see the blood is soaking into the cigarette. They like really yeah. went all out on those Again, details. Again, like, really impressive imagery. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah the gore and the and the effects. I mean. Really impressive, but the movie itself, again, like I said, I also think, like, the lead, the wife, I didn't Julia? find her to be, a, 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 she's not a bad actress, but she's not great. And She's, she's a, better in the second one. Perhaps. She's the center of the whole movie, and, and I really didn't really like watching her. I didn't like spending time with her. Uh, most of the factions in this movie are hideous, and it was, like, hard to even, like, just the movie itself is really ugly. Also, it's all in the one house, and it felt very claustrophobic. And perhaps some of that is intentional, but some of that, to me, felt like bad direction, and I was like, this movie feels really cramped. Like, For the it record, just, uh, that, that, makes sense. that actress... Played Julia was a very well-known stage West End actress who's really not done a lot other than theater, right. other than this. And there, who was like apparently when she went to the premiere, watched ten minutes, and then went, "Okay, I'm gone," and has never seen the rest of the movie. She's like, "I can't stand this type of shit." And as even said, I didn't really get what we were doing. 
when we were doing it because it was like, what is the appeal here? There was a big paycheck and she was well known in England yeah. as a stage actress. And but I just Andrew Robinson decided, he, I mean, he was asked to come back to play Larry the dad and he was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. He's not in the second one? No. He's a pl- okay. There was a whole alternate Smart script. There's a whole alternate script for the second one where it really the third act really focuses on his character. Um, and and I happens. you can tell that and again actors. I think that comes through a little bit. The actors don't feel particularly comfortable or live in. I just think like they just don't relate to the material and maybe that's just something I'm reading into it, but Well, they also had to overdub a lot of their accents. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah the guy who uh, plays uh, Frank yeah is never the actor's voice. It's always an American actor who's not even credited. Uh, it feels that the, way a little bit. The guy kind of stilted voice. in that like, overdubbed way. In fact, way. Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead, was supposed to be as well. Quite, a, I think like eight of the actors in this movie, voices were overdubbed because they were English actors, and the studio was like, nah, nobody wants to hear English actors. But then when the producers heard, like, watched the cut, they went, no, that dude's amazing. We're keeping yeah. his voice. Thank God. All right, so uh, what other stuff did you want to wrap right, up? So I, I wanted trivia. to say that, first off, like I already mentioned, Ashley Lawrence is in, Hellra- is in four other, or I'm sorry, three other Hellraiser films beside this. Doug Bradley has played this character of Pinhead in the first eight films with a subplot of Captain Elliot Spencer, who he was when he was a human, in two of them. He is one of only six actors to play the same horror character at least six times in a row. He also showed up as the lawgiver in Nightbreed and had a small cameo in Book of Blood. And I thought this was kind of interesting and probably the only case of this ever. He was so good after playing this character so many times at taking off and putting on his own makeup that at a certain point they just started giving him assistant makeup uh, artist credit in the in the film. Because it was yeah. like the dude did all his own makeup at a certain mm-hmm. point because he's like, dude, I got this. I've I, done this so many fucking times. Yeah. Um, this was originally, there's a little bit of, I've heard two different stories. Either the working title of this was Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave or... Or when the studio was so resistant towards some of Clyde Barker's early uh, attempts to name it uh, Hellbound, that that was he insisted that it was going to be called Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave. I'm not sure which. That story would have been is a terrible. Hellraiser was one of the best titles ever. Absolutely, yeah. it's a fucking kick-ass title. Uh, Christopher Young scored this film, even though there is an entire other score that Barker personally paid for for the band Coil to do, yeah. which still exists out there. They actually have released the unreleased Hellraiser score, which the studio ended up balking at. But Christopher Young went on to do several other Barker projects. He had also before this done Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Invaders from Mars. Uh, you know, and it's a remarkable soundtrack. I really thought it was a great score. Um and uh those poor the the v, the FX at the end of the movie, which once again the third act, like the end of the third act, does indeed kind of stall out to a certain extent, and and the FX is really bad towards the very end, the visual stuff. And he said basically the budget had gotten to the point they had no money left mm-hmm. on at all. And he says him and a quote Greek guy <laughs> <laughs> animated okay. these sequences by hands over a weekend. Uh, and he said he thinks it turned out pretty well considering the amount of alcohol they consumed over right. that. Oh, yet, so they're like us. Yet another, yet another ending with a bunch of drawn-on blue stuff at the end. So yeah. we could do that then. Yeah. Is you that know what's what funny is the movie didn't need any of that to succeed. And it only takes, like, even like every time you yeah. use the box, the box was cool and it was moving and they have like little blue fairy. The box bits. is terrific. But they have like blue lightning and like little yeah. purple fairy. It's like you didn't need that. No, you could 
could have just lit it and smoked it. And didn't everybody. need any of that. Just it moving on its own was cool. Yeah. I want one. Yeah, yeah. I wonder you have one. You have all this stuff in your house. How do you not have a Hellraiser cube? Uh, they're expensive as fuck, dude. Well, I everybody, them. if you want to buy Chris a present, that's yeah. Yeah. not one of the ones that like. Don't give me one of the lame ones. It's just a cube. It's got to be one of the yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. Don't give him any of the ones shit. that actually open up the hell. <laughs> no, that's that. the one I want. That's the one, Chris. All right, moving on. What's the next movie? That's the one I want to give you. Brother's got a Ghosts of Mars DVD pack, but well, they suggested we get it. No one sent it to us. I know. I would have watched it. I just saw, I think it was Bloody Disgusting, uh, did a piece on the much unfairly maligned Ghost of Mars. Yeah! Yeah. We're not alone out there. We're we're out there and we're only getting stronger. Okay, moving on. Can we talk about Nightbreed, which seriously... No, no, not yet. We're doing... And chronologically, what's next? It is chronologically. No, No, because we wanted to say a few things about Hellraiser 2 real quick. Oh, I thought I already talked about Make it quick, make it quick. I gotta say this because this is the greatest fucking horror story ever. Thank you. Nicholas Vince, who played the Chatterer Cenobite, who there was some amount of fan controversy because apparently he was like, I can't see shit! When he was filming the first one, they redesigned him a little so he could have he eyes. Has the glasses. Which really bugged fans. Everybody. Whatever. But uh, there's a sequence. When he dies in the second one, it's the whole thing with you know, the spilling, spinning columns and the chains. One of those chains with a rusty hook literally caught him right in the mouth, like impaled uh. him in the upper in his upper palate, which there's still some argument about whether or not that shot was actually left in the film, whether that was the shot that you saw in there. And they were like, no, of course it's not. And it's like, yeah, but that's what happens in the film. So I don't know. Um, Tony Randall ended up directing this, who was the editor on the first film, by Barker saying, yes, I fully approve of this, who also did not write the screenplay here, went to Peter Atkins, but he did write the story involved here. And, of course, you've got to mention, this is one of the most infamous deleted scene stories that ended up to be nothing, really. Like, fans for years have gone, wait, there's photos of this scene. What is this scene? Where, why have we never seen this scene? the surgery scene. The surgery scene. And they finally, in Arrow's recent red box set, the Scarlet box set, put out the scene. And it's like, wow, that was nothing. That was not really anything I needed. Yeah, there was, like, this scene where um, Pinhead was dressed as a doctor and the female Cinnabite was dressed as a nurse and well they they are in their original forms and then they turn into their Cenobite forms Mm. and everyone thought it was like some secret like holy crap crazy surgery scene and it ended up just being really bad CGI that they scrapped and it was also like there was a thing where like uh, the guy the guy who plays Pinhead was like playing a regular doctor and people were like wait what they were confused it was very confusing because the film starts with him as a regular human Mm -hmm. being and his origin and it was this confusion because they had originally filmed like 10 10 minutes of the origin story of Pinhead, and it got cut down to that little prequel sequence of like a minute and a half, and they thought that none of that was going to get included, and so they had filmed this other scene. And- <laughs> this is what happens when you make up origin stories for a movie that already exists. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. you try to backpedal into making yeah. a whole franchise. All right, so Nightbreed. Whatever. Nightbreed. And, yeah. Okay, <laughs> first of all, Nightbreed a lot of time on Hellbound. Anybody that talks shit. shit about Nightbreed has to fight me afterwards. It's all right, who in the room like excited about this. Who like Nightbreed? Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so it's uh, you or you did the description last Phil, week for us this time. Phil and I have to. Oh my god, fight. Phil and patience are going to tussle. Uh, All right. Out uh, in the street, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> Russell. This is Nightbreed, which came out in 1990. And what is the plot of Nightbreed? Are you talking to me? Yes. Yeah. 
I right, said Russell, all, didn't I? I just wanted to. I, I just wanted to. I, I tried to Bob Seger it like I'm working. You gotta get the breed. Trying to lose those awkward monster blues. Uh, oh God! <laughs> this you, is why we're you ruminating. love it. Shut <laughs> up! No, I, no, I was no, just this. I was just ruminating on how much I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> so. Right, so get Where the plot, Russ. Oh, uh, okay. Plot summary of Nightbreed. Uh, Craig Craig Schiffer is a young man who is having dreams and visions and some sort of. Uh, you mean psycho- Aaron Boone? Boone. Is that is it Boone? Yeah, yeah. Boone. Sorry. Sorry. I'm Aaron Boone. He'll he'll always be Craig Schiffer to me, but whatever. Um, Aaron Boone um, is he was having like a, a poor man's young Josh Brolin. For I know. Right, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Ross, wrap up the plot. Interesting. Uh, uh, Rob is a he's having these uh, psychological sort of reverberations from these weird visions he's having of the place called Midian, which uh, is of these monsters. It seems to be of his own making. Um, his. Uh, Psychiatrist, mm-hmm. psychologist, um, who was played by played David by the um, inimitable uh, David Cronenberg. We'll get into that uh, a little bit later. His name is Deckard, right? Deckard. Mm-hmm. Philip Deckard. Does somebody Philip else Deckard. want to take this? No, I just want okay. to. His name is, uh, before Phil his name is literally <laughs> Philip K. Deckard. As in Philip K. Dick. Kind of, no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. It's a reference. Whoa. Nerds, if you don't get it, uh, Google it. It's a it. reference to yeah. planes, trains, and automobiles. That's right. Thank you. It's a I reference to Aladdin. <laughs> um, uh, his psychiatrist is seemingly trying to help him through these uh, problems that he's having. Um, at the same time, uh, he begins to... Uh, there, there is a, a, a serial killer terrorizing um, uh, this, this town in Canada that they all live in. And... We begin to realize that the, the, the idea of Midian, the, the town of, of monsters that is in his dream, may be a real place. And he seeks to go, a boon, uh, seeks to go out and find where this place is and is pursued by his psychiatrist, Deckard, who seems to have his own agenda as well. And we begin to slowly realize that Midian, yes, is a real place. And that his psychiatrist is, is the serial killer. Spoiler alert. For like a zillion year old movie. Why are you not giving your brother shit for interrupting? What the hell? I don't like this guy. What are you talking about? Right, I'm sorry. moving on. You know what? I'm done talking about this. Let's just get into the review. No, I mean, like, it's where the monsters live. It's Midian. Midian is where the monsters live. That moment where someone goes, that's where the monsters live. Don't you even do this to me. The moment where they go, it's where the monsters live, and that the beginning of this building of this mythology, which was admittedly that part in... Clyde Barker's career where he was like, and I don't know what was actually going on in his head, or he's never really talked about the the differential between horror and fantasy, but this feels like the dividing line in his career of like, I'm kind of more interested in fan dark fantasy than this is not horror. horror. This is not horror at like, all. It's more of a, it's a fantasy film with very dark elements. It's labyrinths. Just because someone's kids. skin's not on patience doesn't make it horror. <laughs> but, like, but, like, it's fantasy. I don't, I don't know that I totally... Yeah, this is, I, I still think, think of it as a horror, horror film. It's a horror fantasy, but like it's a, fantasy, not horror. I still feel like it's a horror film. It's just like <laughs> the beginning of his transfer into... You know, I mean, literally, the next seven novels he wrote after this were pretty much straight fantasy. 
Yeah, but the book, but you're talking is, about his books. I'm talking about his movies. No, but that's I, what think I'm saying. I think this is horror. The book is I, I, I certainly horror. think there. I would even agree with you and say that it could be fantasy with a strong horror element. But, but I, there's no way I wouldn't say the it's. Book, but, but there's nothing about like feeling wise that is horror. Like if you take like blood away and turn it into fucking glitter, I think it I is think literally I like, the only difference I, is there's blood. Because there's I nothing think, scary in this fucking movie at all. Nothing Twilight scary. Scared the but, fuck but out being, of me. No, nothing because scary. I think Lion. everything with button face is horror. Oh, that's the worst part of the whole movie. What really? Oh my god! This oh movie my is god! Just, this is about to be. I on. totally cannot talk to Phil. All right, so at let's focus our review. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right, patience. Please go first because I absolutely love this film. Nightbreed is... Well, okay. Now, this is going to be a super unpopular opinion, and I'm going to get crucified in this on the discussion board. I got my nails ready. Okay. I actually (laughs) hate the director's cut. I... Oh, Oh, actually, that's generally a very, like, 50-50 opinion. I so. so hate the director's cut. It doesn't make any sense chronologically. Um, the original cut, I know that Clegg Barker hated it. I know that everyone hated it, but the original cut for me makes sense. I actually sat down and I was like, hey, husband, I'm going to show you director's cut and it's going to be amazing. And husband was like, I don't get at all what's going on. And he hates all movies, just <laughs> to be clear. All movies? All movies. That seems but, extreme. Um, yeah, but he particularly was confused with the chronological like way that the director's cut went. Maybe the Cabal cut is better. I don't know. I haven't seen it, unfortunately. But I like the original cut, the theatrical cut. Mm. It makes more sense. I love... David Cronenberg in this movie. Mm-hmm. He is the creepiest. I mean, just the way he talks, I'm just like, yeah, he's made a bunch of, sh- you know, crazy fucking movies. I almost said shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, Whoa. Too far. I know. <laughs> Too far. Bill's uh, right next to you. Be careful. Uh, I love Cronenberg. You're poking the bear. So, I mean, Cronenberg is fucking, I, I mean, like, why is he not acting more? Honestly, because he's I amazing. Agree. In agree. He's so good in this. So creepy. I love the whole, I love the monsters. <laughs> I love their origin stories. I love their mythology. <laughs> she's like talking right in my ear. Yeah, you, you guys can't <laughs> see. She's just looking she's directly right at me. He's over and is just looking right at me. Oh, yeah. Okay, so. Um, and, and honestly, I think that, I honestly, like, Narcisse is my favorite character in this. The one who cuts his face off, but according to Phil, that's not horror. If it's not horror. I am with patience. He cuts his fucking face off. So anyway, as he giggles and laughs and says, right. I'm going to show you my hey, hey, face. It's man, dark man, fantasy. Man. <laughs> anyway. Dark fantasy when he cuts so, so, so. Uh, No, no, real quick, let me give a shout out to Danny motherfucking Elfman who did the score. Score is yeah. Agree. Agree. Thank score, you. Score. So, score. Great so, score. Here's my thing with it. I think, yes, it's ahead of its time. Yes, shows like Grimm and whatever the fuck else is out there that are very similar. What? Supernatural. Oh, no, a lot. right. Oh, a lot to What's what this time? is. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this was ahead of its time for yeah. sure. This to, me, this, to me, is a TV show, not an hour and 50-minute movie. Uh, by the way, it's getting made into a television show. Be- because this version is Let's not happening. Let's not yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, this is not. So, real quick. I don't even understand what the fuck David Cronenberg's character wanted. I don't understand his goal. I don't understand his motivation. I don't understand the main character. You would goal. have understood it if he was a mind hunter. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what any of the characters' goals or motivations are. I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, it starts off with this character. He's like, I've got bad dreams. He goes, here, have some LSD. Turn yourself in, murderer. <laughs> it's like, the fuck is going on here? You should watch Not the Director's Cut. Oh, it could be because they don't have less information for me to not understand more. There's a story? lot more information. I, I'm actually so. not. I'm on the. I kind of like the director's cut. I, I've, I've seen both, I and I just watched the director's cut, and I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I, I get it, and I get the metaphor. And I love the fact that man is the monster, and monster needs the saving, and I get all that. That's cool. It's a little but, on the nose. But the story doesn't make any sense as far as characters' motivations. The motivations make zero fucking sense. He's a serial killer. That's it? That's his motivation? He's, he's, he's insane. No, it's not his only motivation. His whole thing of, like, they build into this whole deal of, like, his, like, pathology that has to deal with monsters and everything else. I mean, they actually do do delve it's, into all that. Horrible. Horrible. And, 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 and some of the worst <laughs> editing I've ever seen in my life. Literally, mm-hmm. talking head cut. Talking head cut. Talking head cut. No. It's like, show me a reaction of a human being fucking talking and somebody interpreting what they're saying to them. It's you're horrible not editing. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. Like, watch okay. Hellraiser. Great editing. How the <laughs> fuck do you go from making that movie to making a movie that has zero heart or, I mean, I get what it's trying to do, but it needs 12 episodes. It doesn't need two hours. This, this show here's needs the, 12 episodes. You're, no, you're right. This is a thing that it's reach well extends its graph or whatever. 100%. I, I, I uh, applaud uh, it for what it's trying to do, yeah. but to me, it failed at that level, and I wanted to love it. I, I think on the level of like the creativity of the effects of sure, make some of the performances great. of the getting Ralph McQuarrie to do the fucking matte paintings of of, of Midian yeah. and of the whole opening credit sequence of like showing the the story of Midian. The whole mythology of it is amazing. There's so many good qualities, and I agree. On the whole, this isn't a great movie. It's just got so many fantastic ideas in it that I kind of love it anyway. I'm like, I get this is a deeply flawed movie that I enjoy more about what I'm imagining around it. I'm not really surprised when Dark, I think it was Dark Horse, I can't remember, did the comic book series that was supposed to be just an adaptation. They were like, we've got a lot of ideas to keep this story going. And they were like, yeah, do it. It went on for 25 issues. And they do a Hellraiser versus Nightbreed. Yeah, that came out later, Hellraiser versus Nightbreed. But it was like, nightmare. But no, that's that's the thing is like, this is a great, or is it dark fantasy? (laughs) This is a great, this is a great mythology they've created. Here and I love the idea of the monsters aren't the monsters; they're just people. You know, it, it feels akin on some level to what like uh, Claremont was trying to do with the X Men, really, where it was like this whole like like we're like, hey, we're really different and we're rejected by okay. society, but what the fuck, man? That doesn't mean we're pieces of shit because of it. But here, here's the thing that was weird. You're to me. the pieces of shit, David Cronenberg. So, <laughs> but, so, so real quick, here's the one thing that was weird to me is I'm watching this this movie. And, like, you know, I don't get, like, why is this guy dreaming of this place if he's not a demon yet because he has to be bitten by this guy that's going to save his life when he's shot? It was his destiny. Oh, why was it his destiny? He's just some white fucking dude who looks like a a football player. (laughs) Why is that his destiny? Explain me this fucking plot. He's wearing a leather jacket with no shirt on. It's his fucking destiny. Fucking. Well, I will, I will start off by saying there's nothing racial about Nightbreed. They don't give a fuck what your race is. It Dude, it looks like Brian Bosworth wearing a leather jacket. It's the same 
savior of demon kind. I want what is the subplot? To pay attention to our bonus features tonight because <laughs> Phil and I are going to have a smackdown. But here's the best part: they only have six demons in this fucking city, I and mean, they show them over and over and over again. And then it's like I don't get it. Uh, they have a small budget. You should more. know that. Oh well, maybe you no, should raise no, more money because Hellraiser had two million. This had eleven million. Hellraiser is far fucking superior. Direct, Boom! It, it yeah. is a superior. It is, film. It, yeah, right. I agree with but that. But the what were your thoughts, a lot. Chris? Overall, what were your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, I like I said, I think that the, this is a film with. Big ideas that are so it's admirable. It's got ideas. Yeah. We're going to get to that. Ideas. It's got a lot of ideas. <laughs> and $11 million in the 80s. And, oh, I sorry, mean, 1990. When they set up this deal, which was a lot based on the excitement over the success of Hellraiser with Morgan's Creek, it was supposed to be the first of a three-picture deal that would have been uh, Son of Celluloid was going to be next, which is actually, if you read the graphic novel adaptation out there, really wonderful adaptation of that uh, and then a sequel to Nightbreed that would continue and possibly even continue on to a trilogy or more because they really wanted this to be a you know the Star Wars of horror films and I get that I get where they were doing that and alright <laughs> Phil alright Phil it's not a great movie is that what you wanted to say? Mm-hmm. So, why was he destined to be their hero? Why was Luke Skywalker <laughs> destined to be their hero? Oh because he was a son of Darth Vader. <laughs> we, don't well, know, we don't know. We don't know yet. You can't back up an argument and not say because right. you don't know. We don't know. Right. You just I'm said get that there was too point, much mythology you, you, in Hellraiser. So overall, Are you saying you, that wait. Nightbreed sucks because there's not enough? You can't have a main character. And he's a, by the way, this theme's going to come up again in Candyman, and I'm, I'm going to call it out again. I'm sorry, when? When some characters hey, Phil, magically Phil, become part of a storyline through exposition. When in, Star Wars, when in Star Wars A New Hope did they establish that Luke Skywalker was the son of Darth Vader? <gasps> when did that happen? Okay, right, we're getting, you know what? Oh my god. Now this nerd argument on another podcast. Alright, so you leave Brian Bosworth out of it. I just wanted to. Okay. Summer's Brothers. Russ, you want to take it? Alright, this couch is going to take over this very divisive discussion over here. Um. I, hang on, I'm getting Let's my notes out. Again, we can plot out the hero's journey and then plot the two together. We're, this isn't Joseph Campbell. Here. Oh, I am going to totally Joseph Campbell your ass with a fucking face. All right, we're, all right. <laughs> we're staying on topic. Nightbreed, Russ. Thank you, Jesus. For, um, oh my God, the Summers mm-hmm. brothers are keeping our shit together. We're trying right to keep now. you on topic. We're trying, Jesus. Uh, uh, I just. <laughs> Terrified to get started over here. <laughs> we have our claws sharpened. Right, hey, we're go. trying to talk over each other. So. Okay, go. Do it. I um, dare you. Okay, well, <laughs> I was going to start with something else, but I did want to get into, um, uh, you guys had made the point, which was this is, uh, again, um, to get back to the infamous Ghosts of Mars argument. Uh, this was, <laughs> this was. I'm sorry to bring that up, but but it, really but it is. But it is a film. Uh, it is the kind of film that hits me where uh, I live, um, and it's the kind of film that I usually end up, you know. Defending, which was a film that its reach exceeds its grasp, it fills with big ideas, it's not particularly um, (laughs) successful in doing those. That's the kind of movie that I love. I I love this kind of of movie. Now, do do I think that Nightbreed is... I mean, I don't think anybody on this... You know, podcast um, would say that it's perfect, oh, but yeah, I, 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 I really enjoyed this movie. Again, I enjoyed rewatching this movie. I rewatched it uh, within the last few years when the director's cut uh, finally came out. I really liked the director's cut, um, so 
you know, whatever. I, I guess I'm on that on that that side, or whatever. I am. But I think the film is very cinematic. I feel I feel that it's a big leap from uh, Hellraiser. I think that it has a lot of assured direction. I feel that you know you really see Clive Barker evolving as a director, and I, I was really excited by that. Again, rewatching this um, in in uh, you know in context of, of this podcast. Um, uh, you know, again, I think he's really original. I think it's a really original story. I think it's really interesting. Um, and again, uh, a theme we're going to return to, I think it's a real tragedy that Barker only directed these three movies um, because I think it really points to something. Again, like Hellraiser 2, I think it's kind of a product of its time. It has some kind of 90s, you know, fashion and direction and, and feel and look from the visuals. Very fashion. <laughs> yes, very, very fashion. Um, Lots of jean jackets. I am going to start <laughs> I am going to start wearing leather jackets with no shirt. No, no shirt on. Care. Yeah. And that mullet... Holy shit. Um, but, you know, I think the monster design is very memorable, particularly the guy, what's his name, who tears his face off and wears the cowboy Narcissus. hat? Narcissus. He is a really interesting character. Um, and, I, again, I, I think the real problem with the monsters is they sort of follow that that sort of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Star Trek idea where we basically put a weird piece on your face and now you're a monster. Um, <laughs> and so that, that part of it didn't work. And so, you know, I wish the monsters were a little more memorable, yeah. um, something along the line of, you know, what Del Toro does that's very sublime and interesting. But I think that, you know, and you guys had touched upon this, I do think Barker had already picked up on that really amazing theme that Del Toro does of, you know, the, the beautiful monster and, and that man is the real monster, the everyday monster. Um, I did want to say uh, on Midian, um, let me just get this straight. So the eternal, like, city where the monsters live is in Alberta, Canada? <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange All my Canadian friends have been asserting this thing. <laughs> and, and everybody seems to know about it. Uh, that was really that was really weird to me. Um, yeah, I love you just go to a hospital and somebody's going to tell you how to get there. I mean, like the plot was literally as easy as you could make it on a character. Yeah. Like, literally... Just get bitten, or the story doesn't go on. I agree. Like but the story, the plot was so fucking paid by number conveniences. Yeah. But you know, and the other thing I think to myself with Boone, and this is kind of the Phil's point: was, why would you want to live there? <laughs> Even if you were a monster, it didn't seem why? like, and it seemed sort of dangerous. Like the people you were living with were going to eat you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'd, yes. I'd like to get into. Uh, I like it to and, have to make sense. And, it's a and, horror and film, guys. A Come chef, on. I agree. I agree with patience. No, but let's and, not dismiss like like. Um, I'm sorry. That's a pet peeve for me. It's like going. Like, oh, it's a horror film, so we have yeah. to dismiss or fantasy film. I won't let it go. Film. I won't let it go. go. Clearly. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I have a story. Well, I mean, I understand yeah. when it's something doesn't make Agreed. sense, but this made sense. I it mean, made it, sense it to me as fine. well, and, and maybe it's just having I mean, a moment a of It's a shitty situation. I didn't find it that much different than, say, the show The Gifted going on right now uh, from Fox, mm-hmm. where it's like, it's a bunch of mutants that are forced together through because everyone fucking hates them to live together, and honestly, there's several of them that at any point could just blow the fuck up and kill everyone around them, and it's just like, I okay, it. I get it. It's they're banding together for survival, but they also all don't trust each other either. You know. I just want to talk briefly. Um so uh obviously Sheffer I think is a problematic lead. Um you know, and I do think this is something again, a running theme within Barker's that his his casting um is very spotty. And yeah. he'll pick really interesting people to do stuff, he'll pick people oh, that great. just don't totally work. Um so Sheffer is a person that's had kind of a strange career, especially as a leading man. Um, I, I, w- I do want to take a moment, and, and, and I know we've obviously talked about it, but I want to talk about the Cronenberg character, the Deckard character. I think the Deckard character is kind of amazing. And, and, and I want to say he's 
the, the fact, and again, Rob and I have debated this over the past few weeks, the fact that he cast Cronenberg in a not insignificant part, it is a large part, and, and Cronenberg was not a person who you'd seen in a lot of stuff at that level of... of um, Being an actor, yeah, if any. It was, it was really, he's, he's really good in the movie. Is, is he good because he's a great actor? I mean, that's debatable. Obviously, again, Rob and I debated that. I I found just his presence alone, the fact that you would cast Cronenberg as his character, and I do think Buttonface, the, the serial killer, Deckard, I, I think he's such an amazing creation, and, and he's just, what he's up to, his motivations, the way Barker films him in the scene where he, he has to kill the family in the house, his first appearance, it's, I thought it was just stunning, and, and, um, and it's on the level, again, of the Cenobites, and I think... The Deckard character in the Cenobites, if if I can get just slightly pretentious about this. Um, oh, shit. Th- okay, everybody relax. I um, feel like there should be a theme song for that. There should be, so Russ gets pretentious. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> Vladimir Nabokov, the, the famous author um, and, and also literary critic, he, he, he did this this um, critique of Don Quixote, and, and, and it's funny, he took sort of this opposite tact about Don Quixote. He said, Don Quixote is not a particularly great novel. Um, but the characters of Sancho Panza and and um, and Don Quixote they they sort of are lifted beyond the confines of this mediocre novel because the characters themselves are sort of amazing and that's how I feel about the Cenobites and the Decker character that they're they're so amazing everything about them is sort of transcends the material as spotty as it is um, and and I just that was really how I felt about them they, they were sort of transcendent creations and and the real gift within the movie of of, uh, of Nightbreed. Um, Thank you for making us an intellectual mm-hmm. podcast, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I apologize for making us an no, intellectual no, podcast. I, mean, thank, I no. feel like a better person no, now. I I you and you're welcome. Uh, right. So I put that <laughs> English I put that English degree in. Do, do I have an English degree now? Just <laughs> yes, you do. You do. You're thank welcome. You. Oh, you're welcome. You. you have an honorary degree. Honorary degree. Um, uh, the final stuff I was just going to say, it has kind of a protracted ending. It's a setup for a sequel that obviously never happened. Becomes this weird action movie. So the last act is... You must find us a home. Yeah, it's very, it's very oh, problematic, oh. dude. It's so Joseph uh, like uh, Campbell. Come on, I agree like that's that. the whole like. I mean, it's practically like the Bible. It's right there, literally you know? the it's hero's like, journey. That's what I want to watch: a bunch of ugly fucking monsters fighting <laughs> fucking whatever. This I, I don't disagree with you. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with you that the the, the sort <laughs> of scenes of the movie definitely lynch mob show up. That's the last one. Okay, sorry. Sorry, Russ. That's right. Anyways, go ahead. Chris was too busy making puns. It's my job. I don't know if it's my job. Oh my we're sorry, Rob. No, sorry. That's right, I guess. I just, uh, you well, mean no, your I was points, just trying to make sure we're not talking over you. You quoted Nabokov. Dude. You're, I quoted you're, Nabokov. Your points were so cogent where the rest of us are embarrassed, is all. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Um, we're debasing ourselves. Yeah, that's great. Right so I get now. to follow Russ. Yeah, please. I don't, I, I've watched this movie I, tons of times. I just, I mean, I've watched it uh, so many, I mean, like, but, and I hadn't, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd watched all the director's cut actually until we watched it for this, this um, podcast. And, uh, I, I, I agree with Patience. It did feel more unfocused, whereas Chocolate. I remember watching the original one. It, it moves pretty quickly. Um, the director's cut is... I was like, God, there's a lot of shit. I was like, I don't even remember any of this. And um, I, I'm not... Sh- it is obviously a leap in direction, ambition, and all that other stuff that you guys are saying from Hellraiser. And in the... Uh, by itself, I like the movie in the way that I like... 
you know, stuff like Buckaroo Banzai or, or <laughs> just like, like, it's just like, like Phil was saying that it's this mashup of like horror and like superhero movies and like dark you, fantasy. Yeah, dark fantasy and the heroic <laughs> myth and like all this stuff's in there. And I do think like. You've nailed why I like this. Movie. Right. And so I, I just, I mean, like, as a person who likes movies like that, like, this is a really cool example. It's like a great, it is literally the epitome of what a cult movie is. But. Do I think, especially watching the director's cut, is incredibly flawed. Schiffer is not a great lead. Um, Cronenberg and Buttonface are amazing. Like, it's it, Russ is right. Like, it is an amazing creation. I think that mask they literally ripped off the mask wholesale for the Collector series. The Collector oh, and the Collection. Totally. Literally, it's the mask, and um, it's because it's just it's so Which striking. Isn't a shit on that series. And that's great. What? I, I just don't want to shit on that series. I'm not. I'm, I'm, but I am saying they ripped off the mask whole, whole, like wholesale. Yeah. Is the same mask. Yes. Um. Uh. And and I think the idea, as to Phil's point, it's 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 it comes a little out of nowhere that. Buttonface and and uh, Deckard sort of decide that I am the bringer of death to Midian. I think that's awesome. Phil's right. It makes no sense. Like it, like like from a from a screenplay standpoint, I'd be like, what the fuck is this bullshit? But it, in the movie, it works for me as I think most of the movie does. Um, I think that it, it, I, I don't know that it is. I don't know that it is a successful film, but I know there's a film that I like, that I think about a lot, that I enjoy. Um, it did drag for me a little more in the director's cut. I think Patience, really, that is a good point. And I, I had to be honest with myself that I was really excited about it because I love the movie. And I was like, oh, shit, there's more and all this stuff. It, it drags a little. It's a little unfocused. But it is filled with genuinely memorable imagery. Um, a, uh, and uh, I, I think it gets kind of apocalyptic at the end and kind of big. And I think it's really cool. It is a little cheap looking at points. I don't think he's always as you know. I do think his reach exceeds his grasp in this movie. He is going for it. it is a, it, but I have to say there aren't a lot of movies like this. Yeah, and 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 that makes the movie special. And I think it's singular. As much as we talk about those Clyde Barker ones, this one is a bit of an outlier to all the other movies. I do feel that this is more of kind of a fun. Uh, uh, sort of like crazy fantasy horror comic book type movie. The other movie, almost every other movie in here is not like that. They're more straight ahead, sort of dark, depressing, um, disturbing films. This isn't really that movie, although there is some weird, gross yeah. shit. I actually agree. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's the only, I guess, like kind of, I guess, side note in that. It's like, I don't mind VFX looking cheap or SFX looking cheap. Sure. As long as your story explains what the fuck I'm watching, right. I'm in hook, line, and sinker. I agree. And this one, to me, I, I would be totally in if I understood why the character is doing what he's doing and why the villain is doing what he's doing. And when you don't explain those two things to me, you've lost me. And yeah. it's like, and I get that, like, you can be, you can geek out over, oh, cool, look, there's, you know, these crazy looking costumes and mm-hmm. this guy's stabbing this guy and, oh, there's demons and this guy cuts his face off. That's all good and well, but that's just, that's just a window dressing. I mean, it's not the story. Right. The story is not there and it could be there in a TV show. And I think, and excited. I think to your point, this is the reason that this works for those of us that it works for more than you is because this is the epitome of a cult movie where I respect and agree with everything that you're saying, um, especially as like a filmmaker and, and a person who sort of understands structure and, and, and the needs of a screenplay. And yet at the same time, the movie, the direction and the and the strength of the film is so um, Focused and original and 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 exciting that I do think I sort of overlook those flaws in a way that I don't with other movies. And you're right to call the movie out on them. It does it does fail in a lot of storytelling aspects. Yeah, it's absolutely. Kind of all over the place, but it is. 
a unique film and a unique yeah. vision. And and I excited the idea that there would be a TV show is pretty pretty cool. And that's the thing is, it's exciting for what it could be more than what it is. And you can right. see what it's spawned. We agree with you to some extent, yeah. like uh, Phil, the rest of us who do enjoy this film in and of itself, I still go, yeah, of course it's flawed, but this is kind of the horror buckaroo bonsai. It's yeah. that whole film, you're like, no, on its own, it's not a very good thing, but it feels like it's part of this giant universe, and you're like, I can't wait to see more, and your mind expands out. And I kind of miss movies that did that, that where it was like smack you. dab in the middle of a bigger world. You know, fuck, I'll even name Remo Williams. That's right. Fuck yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. 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 Say yeah. For a film like that, you're like, it's a kind of shitty movie, but it's a great shitty movie because it feels like it's smack dab in the middle of this yeah. awesome And this universe, is something that I want to bring up very, very um, vehemently. Like, this is a an overarching theme for Clive Barker. He definitely does all of these original things. Mm-hmm. Like Hellraiser, totally her original. We've never seen anything like it before. Nightbreed, no one had ever seen anything like it before. Candyman, which we're going to talk about next, is our first, like, on you know, next show. Uh, right, on our next show, is our first, like, African American, like, bad guy. It's our first, you know, ser- you know. He's pushing boundaries. He definitely I mean, that's what pushes he does. boundaries. Yeah, and and I think that's, you know, Clive Barker is not, he's not afraid. Right. Okay, what, what is this? What yeah, else? I just want to tie up with a couple of quick, little facts. Quick. Rucker Hauer and Christopher Lambert were in early consideration. So much would have been so, well, so, so much better. Really Even that. Chris Lambert, like Highlander, uh, come on. That. If you've seen the original version as opposed to the director's cut, the original version actually has uh, uh, David Cronenberg's character of Deckard being resurrected. Right, which I, I I did not. I missed that. I, yeah. I was. Okay. I think that was a better ending. Well, the reason that was even there is because audiences. Really, I guess they identified with this character. I was like, "Well, that's disturbing." Yeah, I feel like you missed the died. point. I feel like you missed the point. He doesn't really, have, but I, I would agree. I, I understand why. It's not because of that. It's more because he's he's such a central figure. And I think I don't remember where I just read this. Someone pointed out the real love story is between Boone and Deckard in this film. Yeah, yeah. and their sort of unconsummated attraction for each other, and they're sort of they're sort of. And I think. The, and, He's and ending, Deckard's fury at being left, Boone leaving him for Midian. It doesn't yeah. feel wrapped up when he dies. It doesn't yeah. feel concluded. And, and and I think that because the, the the monster survived and he's their antagonist, it does feel more satisfactory to me that he's resurrected to chase well, them. You, you want the villain to live in a good horror series. I think that's and, yeah. and, and I think that's kind of it. And then also, like Rawhead Rex. Like, they don't kill him. He stays, he stays <laughs> around. Hey, the, big, the big dick stays around. And I do think Deckard's a, fa- big dicks do. I do think Deckard's a fascinating <laughs> character who is more interesting being at the beginning of an arc than he's at the, the end of He's the most interesting one. part of the entire movie is just that character. Yeah. Like if you took out, yes, he is by far. I agree. I totally agree. It's most interesting. He's just definitely because the it's best Cronenberg. actor. That's for fucking um, sure. His, his, his character. Other than Hugh, Hugh Ross, who no, played uh, Narcissus. The original yeah. cut was two and a half or hours long. The director's cut we got was not two and a half hours long. So I'm kind of like, wait, I, need, they keep saying how is this really cut? the director's? Everything cut? I keep saying, hearing is like the director's cut is two and a half hours long. The version they put out as the director's cut is nowhere near two and a half hours it's long. Two and, like um, ten, I think. Yeah, and I'm like, what the fuck, guys? Where's the director's cut? So I'm a little confused as to nobody calling it out, going, wait a minute, this is clearly not the finished cut of this. Even the extra features 
of deleted scenes on there, which apparently even those aren't complete deleted scenes, show or like, wait, this is stuff they talked about that Barker really wanted in his final cut that are not in the director's cut yeah. that they put out. So I'm a little confused. I feel like there's another cut going on there. In fact, the editor of the film left in a fury, like like letting everyone know how angry he was when the studio insisted them cutting stuff. He's like, this movie's not even going to make any fucking sense. Uh, and left afterwards asking his name be take off, taken off the film. Oh, editors. Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, who I have a particular love for, but I realize anyone who doesn't, has uh, called this film the first truly gay horror fantasy epic, <laughs> referring to the fan- the relationship between the doctor and the patient as the central theme, right. which I think is hysterical. Do you think that had any involvement in the casting of the lead actor? Uh, of of uh, the character who plays Boone? Yeah. Was he gay? No, I mean, just how he dressed and his styling and his relationship to the that director. That was just the 80s. That was just the 80s, yeah. <laughs> I, there's, something, I, there's something to do with it. I I'm often wore no motorcycle jackets without yeah, shirts I could, I could and see, I mean, maybe... I mean, are casting choices yeah. being made? Like, I don't know. Who, I don't know. who could say? Uh, uh, horror writers John Skip and Craig Spector have cameos as corpses in the hotel room scene. Because oh. at this point, oh. Barker was really firmly ingrained in the horror writer scene. And it wasn't surprising for other horror writers going, I'd love to show up in one of your films. Like, as it does, you know. When we're really deeply famous, I expect other podcasters to be from horror podcasts to be begging to show up in mm-hmm. cameos. Do we, do we know why Cronenberg did this movie? Do we know any of the Actually, history on that? Actually, that I'm not clear on. Because, I mean, that had to have been, like, something happened there. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. want to know more. But I, 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 I would love if he decided to show up, maybe not as Deckard, but as a role, if they do this TV series, which has been off and on for years, but Morgan Creek Entertainment just recently rebranded themselves as Morgan Creek uh, something else, I think, like... I can't remember the name. Slight difference in name. And they made this big announcement, like, a month ago... All of our shows are going to be, t- our brands are going to be TV series with Nightbreed being a big, like, this is one of the ones we're it definitely going to do. But no movement has actually happened, so we'll right. really see. Yeah. Well, do well are we doing any, are we doing, are we doing one more? Or we're we- hour 30, so we're going to okay. stop this one, and you guys are going to have to wait till the next week to hear the rest of this where we're going to talk about Candyman. Candyman. Talk about Candy Lord Candy of the, No, stop! Don't say it! <laughs> we're Candyman. We're going to talk about Lord of Illusions. We're going to talk about the Midnight Meat Train, and we're talking about oh, Book yeah. of Blood, Another and we're going to talk about Dread. And until then, guys, what do we say? Keep, Keep screaming. screaming! Keep screaming! Ladies and gentlemen, listeners to oneofus.net, be a subscriber. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, being a subscriber is it. The long-term benefits of being a subscriber at oneofus.net have been proven by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Watch TV, but not too much. Remember to cast a wide net of types of shows you watch. Even reality TV may have the occasional gem to offer. Don't feel too bad that you have trouble finding friends that share your interests. You are amazing, and you should love what you love. Sure, in 20 years you'll look back at your favorite stuff and cringe at some of it, but it will be with an affectionate smile. By the way, I have no doubt that you probably look amazing. Even if you haven't found that person yet, if you believe in yourself, somebody is going to love you. I'm sure anime is great. 
I don't personally watch a lot of it, although some of our staff certainly does. You'll feel better in realizing that my lack of interest in it isn't me critiquing the quality of anime and affects your love of it in no way. Tony is probably not going to show up. Yeah, we wish he would too. Love that guy. Taking it personal when someone likes something you hate or hates something you love in entertainment is understandable when young. But as you get older, trust me, there will be little that will make you feel more embarrassed about yourself than cruel things you said on someone's Facebook page about DC versus Marvel or whatever at 3 in the morning. At least hopefully. Write. Create. Do your own thing. And if you don't have the time, find the time. Try out the shows you haven't given a shot to yet on our network, like Thumbtacks and Screwjobs, Somebody Likes It, or Deliberations of Doom. We think you'll be pleasantly surprised. But seriously, trust me on the subscription.